Welcome to Hallway Talks with Luisa and Ria. This week, we are doing an alumni spotlight with Christine Van Busen, an MPA PNP grad who got her degree in 2010 and has since then founded her own women-led social enterprise, Project Alianza. Project Alianza is a nonprofit that works across Latin America and aims to provide bottom-up educational solutions to low-income farming communities. Christian has also been a Fulbright Scholar, an Aspen Institute Fellow, and was a gold winner in the Mass Challenge Boston Accelerator for high-impact startups. Fun fact about Christian, she backpacked across 40 countries once, and she'll tell us a little more about that. Recorded November 9th, 2020. Christine, thank you so much for coming here. We are so happy to finally have an alumni on our podcast. And we are so impressed by everything that you've done since you, you left Wagner. Um, we love Project Alianza and we would love to learn more about it. And specifically, why did you decide to start Project Alianza? Can you tell us the story behind it? Oh, thank you so much, Louisa. Um I wish it was such, I wish I could give you just an abbreviated answer to that. You know, I think that a lot of us want to think that there's aha moments in life, but I really think it's been accumulation of experiences that led me to Project Alianza. Uh, but I'd be lying if I said that it was ever in my plans. I always thought I'd be a policy analyst and, uh, you know, sitting behind that. <laughs> uh, so my, my life plan certainly ended up uh, very different than I, than I expected, but in, you know, in wonderful ways. I, I, started really learning about education in Central America because I, I went down to Nicaragua as a Fulbright Fellow um, and was doing research in coffee growing communities about um, market access for smallholder farmers. And I was really interested in the economics of coffee um, and you know was fascinated that even people that had full-time employment and were uh, by all means um, successful farmers were still living in poverty. So I was really fascinated, you know, to figure out what was happening on the ground. And of course I discovered, you know, quite a bit, but I think I was really touched by the children because I saw hope in them. I saw hope in their stories because they were the up and coming generation and, and they were such curious, dedicated, resilient, little, little people, um, <laughs> yeah. that, you know, I, I just think had endured so much that I couldn't, I couldn't help but be, you know, drawn into their stories. And I met a little girl by a well who dropped out of school when she was in second grade and was essentially living the life of an adult. And so I followed her around and really learned about the barriers that she was facing getting to school. And more importantly, I was really inspired by her drive to get an education and, um, and her, her, um, her motivation to, to be part of the formal education system because that was such a foreign concept for her. That was something that only girls in, in urban areas got to do, not little girls like her. And so her story really inspired me to, um, to start providing better educational opportunities in rural areas and you know, it just, we started out as a small education project, yeah. um, post Fulbright, and then it really grew into a nonprofit because the need is so high in Central America and probably in, in you know, in coffee growing communities across the world. Absolutely. I mean, it's such a, it's such an interesting story. 
you started in a small place in Nicaragua and you've managed to grow it across Latin America and you're doing it from New Hampshire. And I find that entire process quite interesting. Could you tell us what that's like? Yeah, so I I do live mostly in Boston. That's where we're headquartered. I'm just up here because of (laughs) (laughs) a lot more time in the, you know, out in nature and away from cities these days. Uh, But but I lived in Nicaragua for three years and I worked alongside communities, community leaders, mothers um, and and students, educators. And I really wanted to to be in the community as an organizer. And that's still how I see myself as somebody that's facilitating the right connections to bring educational opportunities where there are none. I still see Mm -hmm. myself in that role. Um, But you know, from the U.S., I I do a lot of the organizational sustainability that's required of a nonprofit, you know, fundraising, storytelling, um, getting, you know, refining our mission, bringing in new educational methodologies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, I've sort of evolved in my role. I started out in uh, doing a research project um, as a research fellow and sort of evolved into a community organizer and now the leader of our organization and our, you know, we call ourselves a family because that's still how we operate today. So um, yeah, I've definitely had to wear a lot of different hats in this role, but it's, it's easy to adapt when you're doing something you really care about. Yeah. You know, one thing that you said that I, I thought was really interesting and I think it reflects really well how a lot of us feel right now when we are in the middle of our masters or, finishing it we don't really see a clear path right we have so many ideas and so many opportunities coming through or not enough opportunities in some cases and we don't know exactly how to move forward what do you think that um you got at wagner that helped you see what was the way forward yeah i mean i'm so just a little bit about why i went to wagner in the first place i'm i'm from a small town in indiana I didn't grow up where, where, where most of my neighbors never had a passport. Travel wasn't something that most people could do financially. So aspiring to really see the world was, it felt like a really lofty goal. And I always had a curiosity to explore different cultures and different ideas because I was in such an insular community. And one reason I was so drawn to Wagner is because I felt that it was a place where you could be authentic, you could explore deep questions, you could ask hard questions and get honest answers. And so it was just a place of intellectual growth among people with diverse experiences and diverse thoughts. So I was really drawn to that environment in the first place. And, you know, I think being part of the Wagner community, it certainly gave me the hard skills to figure out the nuts and bolts for starting a nonprofit, you know, like I knew how to manage a team of people. I learned the fundamentals of accounting. I knew how to write grants and all of that. So I I certainly learned the hard skills. And I think the most valuable thing though, is having the courage to ask hard questions and, and listen to people different from me. And that's what I think made my experience in Nicaragua unique and, you know, I don't know how you define like what success is in this context, but sort of allowed me to build a career out of something that I believe in um, by having, you know, having the courage to ask those difficult questions. And I think that classrooms at Wagner allowed for that. And that certainly helped my personal and professional growth. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you talked about 
how difficult it is actually to define success in these uh, situations. And I completely understand that it's because you've gr- grown something from scratch. Where do you see Project Alianza going? What is the growth path that you see for the organization? So right now in times of of COVID, you know, I've, I've sort of stepped back from what is scale look like, right? We do have a replicable program model at Alianza where we know that there's great need in the Latin American region and across the world for the programs and services that we offer. Um, But with COVID, I think the question hasn't been about how wide we can go. It's, It's been how can we have a real impact for those who are the most marginalized, for those who are left behind? You know, with COVID, we really saw how certain students were left behind because the national policy response to COVID in Central American countries was, okay, we'll provide educational programs through television or through computer learning. And my question was, okay, well, more than half of our households don't have access to electricity. So we're just saying that as a child in the pandemic, you don't have the right to learn. Well, if we believe that education is a fundamental human right, then we need to find ways to provide that education, no matter somebody's individual circumstances. And for us, it's been through radio programs and low tech solutions through radio and community organizing, because that's what the world still needs. High tech solutions can't work for everybody. For the listeners out there, can you explain exactly what is Project Alianza and what are you doing? So I I try not to go too much in the weeds because it's uh, something that, you know, like a lot of people just write down what we do. But please go into the weeds. We want all the weeds. Oh, I love it. Great. I can tell you guys are are Wagner students. Yes. (laughs) Yes, College nerds, data nerds. Give me me the weeds. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we are an education nonprofit that provides opportunities in rural communities through building new schools, interactive education programs, and scholarships. And essentially what we're doing, if you were to look at our theory of change, is we're breaking down all the barriers that we know children face in this region. So one of the barriers is access to a safe school. So we build them. Another one is quality learning opportunities in the classroom to minimize grade repetition and dropout. So we provide... uh, what we call teaching at the right level, interactive learning approaches in the classroom, where we have a facilitator that is reading to the children and providing um, coloring books and workbooks. And it's a high energy program to keep kids engaged, which from our standards in North America, we're like, oh, well, that's just our you know normal educational experience. For a child in rural Central America, what we see is rote learning. So you just copy what you see on the board and you have no idea what you're writing down. You have no idea what it means. You're just, you're just following what's already written there. Um, so having access to novel reading materials to a teacher that's engaging and moving around, that's novel for these classrooms. Um, so we provide that um, for kids who are around, we target children in between second and fourth grade, because we know that if kids aren't reading at grade level by fourth grade, they're at the highest risk of dropping out. So our goal is to keep them reading where they need to be. Yeah. And then the final step of our program is helping children transition from primary school to secondary. So essentially elementary school to high school. And we provide uh, conditional cash transfers to families for keeping their kids in schools along with a mentorship program where one of our Project Alianza mentors visits the home teacher and student regularly to keep them engaged in education. So like I said, we have a continuum. Our, our 
model is really about breaking down the barriers where we know kids are most likely to drop out. So we step up and and help fill the gap for children that are the most uh, marginalized and vulnerable from formal education systems. Since we're public policy students, we have to get into the public part of it. So what role does the government play in this? How much do you interact and work with the governments? Right. So, you know, when you talk to people outside of Wagner, oftentimes they say, why are you doing the job of the government? And that's a, that's a fair question. I'm and I'm happy to answer that question. And and, you know, the reality is that we are there because the government isn't providing a service that I think as a collective humanity, we believe that every child on the planet deserves, which is the opportunity to learn, to form critical thinking, to form their own opinions. And that's unfortunately not being provided by public service, if you will. So as a nonprofit, we are stepping in to fill that midterm solution. Um, And our goal is to form a trusted relationship with the ministries of education, which we do. And um, in fact, during COVID, the ministry said, hey, we want nonprofits to help us solve this problem. So we raised our hand. And we, we have a, a cordial relationship with the government. Um, unfortunately, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of interest to keep labor costs low, to keep people uninformed, to keep them out of the democratic process because it helps maintain the middle class in the United States, if you will, because it keeps prices of coffee and other agricultural products low that can be exported to us. So if labor costs go up or people with refuse to participate in unfair labor systems, then those products can no longer be accessible to us. So we know we're working within very corrupt systems, both in the private sector and the public sector. And our goal is to organize at a community level up to show that um, these systems aren't sustainable, that um, that everybody deserves the, the right to better themselves and better their lives. And we do that from the community up. And in the end, our goal is to collect enough data to show the ministries of education that our teaching methodologies are effective and are cost effective. And fingers crossed that some of those will be implemented on the department or national level. We've already had um, we've already had one department engage with us and say, you have free reign into our schools with your with your programs. So that was a huge win for us. So our goal is really to work from the bottom up to influence policy, which is very different from my training where I used to work at RAND at a think tank where it's all about top-down approaches. Well, we know in Central America it needs to go bottom-up to really make policy changes. Um, It's interesting that you mentioned RAND because I think that's part of what I would love to talk to you about, which is a bit of your career trajectory. You left Wagner and then you went to RAND and then you fully transitioned to Project Alianza. Can you maybe walk us through what was like after Wagner, what motivated you to get your job at Rand, and then what motivated you to transition to Project Alianza after that? Yeah, so I was at Wagner when um, Obama was elected into office and the Affordable Care Act was passed. And so I was really passionate at the time about evidence-based policy, specifically around healthcare, right? Like that was so relevant at the time Um, And I just saw that there's so much political rhetoric and anecdotes driving decisions at the policy level. And I said, oh, I want it to be evidence based. That's what our country needs. So I really wanted to go into policy. And there's so much power at 
at organizations like RAND and Brookings. And we need that voice in our society. Um, and I think that, you know, I had to do a personal uh, sort of like a pulse check, if you will. And I, I realized that I was very intellectually satisfied, but personally, I, you know, just like Wagner, I care about working with people and I, I care about the marginalized. And I felt when I was, you know, still, you know, you all are in New York um, and I'm in, you know, living in Boston and was thinking, wow, I'm really in a privileged bubble here. And that's not how Wagner taught me to interact with the world. That's not quite the honest existence I'm looking for. So, you know, I, I wanted to use my hard skills and, you know, that I had developed over my education at Wagner, at Rand and, and through my world travels and all of that, I, I really wanted to see how I could piece that together to really create an impact. And for me, Project Alianza was the answer. And, um, and you know, the experience of building a company, helping people um, in a different cultural context. And our team's all women, so there is a women empowerment piece to our work as well. Um, all of that just sort of merged. Yeah, that sounds so great. Uh, I also know that uh, I'm not sure where this fits into the timeline, but I know that you were also co-founder of Women Speaks. Um, an initiative in Boston. And since you just talked about the women empowerment part mm -hmm. of your project, could you tell us a little bit about what Women Speaks is? When I moved back to the States after having spent um, a few years in Central America and just sort of, I, I spent a lot of time backpacking as well around 40 it. countries. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah, so I did backpacking, was on very little money and you know had a great grand adventure i um, i moved back to boston and became part of an accelerator program and as part of that program i was doing a lot of pitches you know this was all new for me so i was like i have to learn how to pitch a company fundraise all this so i had a lot of coaching around that around how to communicate with people how to you know essentially sell this mission and yeah. I got invited to speak at great conferences and um, had a pitch in front of large panels and all of this. So as part of that journey, I um, was connected with a gentleman who started a public speaking firm. He and I became colleagues and partners and worked together for a year. And I worked to help women develop their public speaking skills. So that's been a side hustle of mine, if you will. And with earlier this year, I decided to branch off and start my own firm altogether. So I work, my, my mission is to help underrepresented leaders with their messaging. So I work with a lot of people of color and women and, and folks who um, with different nationalities to help them refine their messaging with their keynotes and their pitches and all of that. So that's another... Uh, way that I, you know, like to empower leaders um, and empower voices that we need to listen to in our society. Oh, I love that. That's such a yeah. amazing project to be involved with. Um, one thing that you mentioned that I, that I want to follow up with you, you quickly said that, you know, there was so many parts, there was fundraising and there was learning how to pitch. And then I guess, what part do you think is the most difficult on starting a program like this and maybe to bring it back to Wagner, how do you think that Wagner helped you to solving these challenges? 
Yeah, any anybody can figure out how to write. Any motivated person, I think, can be trained to write a grant or to register a five hundred one c three. I mean, it's it's not fun, right? But it's. I think we can be trained. I think what. I think there's an, a sort of a softer skill, a more invisible skill, and that's this ability to choose a really good team and have the humility to listen to people that have great ideas. Um, I Again, I think that at Wagner, what's more important is to ask the right questions and learn to collaborate with people different from you that bring unique perspectives, and that's where the magic is. That to me has been, I wouldn't say the hardest, but the most critical piece. We have an amazing team. And that's why I say we're like a family. I, I trust everybody I work with. Everybody that is on our team is cares deeply about our mission and they all bring amazing ideas. And it's my job to sit back and just connect the dots so we're most effective. And I, I, had a, I always say, you know, how to unlearn a lot of the leadership skills I learned growing up. And yeah. I think that, that that humility, the the caring about big problems and not being afraid to dive into it and then forming an amazing team to solve it, that's really what's gotten us where we are. That's what gets us through, you know, crises like yeah. the COVID-19 pandemic and then a couple of years ago, a big political crisis in Nicaragua. That's what gets us through this is that amazing team that we formed. You know, since you mentioned team, one of the biggest pieces of advice that we as Wagner students get throughout our time in this degree is network, 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 right? You got to build that network. You got to interact with peers, with uh, alumni, with professors. How much of that networking did you do and how much of it translated into your success with Project Alianza? I I have very mixed feelings about the word network. Okay. As do us all. We all do, right? You're like, oh, it's triggering. Especially, especially on Zoom. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So so I I've as part of my public speaking training that I've done, I I led a workshop all about networking for women in finance. And I sort of deconstructed that and I said, let's not think of this as a network. Let's think of this as community building. And that's truly what it is because I think, you know, I have great friendships and professional relationships from my time at Wagner, but it never came about because I was trying to get ahead. I wasn't like, oh, I need this job. It was just like, this person's really interesting. I want to strike up a conversation with them. I want to learn, you know, how they got here and what brought them to Wagner and what's motivating them. And I, I think that when you come at it, like I have a genuine interest for connecting and learning from people different from me, then it really changes the narrative in our heads. And it's completely fine to ask for things and ask for help as well. But I think that if you're coming at it like, hey, I'm I really want to know more people and I don't have an agenda. I just want to know you. Then it's about relationship building, community building, not about what can I gain from this relationship. Um, so it's a such a Wagner answer. I love it. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so, you know, Adam Grant's talked a lot about this behavioral uh, economist out of the university of Pennsylvania about how, you know, it's not, it's about giving and getting like a really nice balance. I was like, that's no different from any relationship. <laughs> that's like every relationship we're in. There's my lights again. <laughs> I'm glad 
There you go. Yeah. Um, so, so, so yeah. I, and, and I think it is important to build relationships with anybody at any, at any phase. Um, but it's not about what you can gain. It's just about connecting with people and learning from new people. And you never know what it's going to amount to. Yeah. I, yeah, I love how you put it. Um, community building sounds so much more exciting than <laughs> networking. <laughs> and I guess you keep the positivity going. We ask you so much about your challenges and what was difficult and like how you overcome it. But now I want to know what you're excited about, what you're looking forward on Project Alianza or maybe even other projects that you have. You know, it's, it's really interesting because with everything that happened with the COVID-19 pandemic. And then, like I said, we had a, a big political crisis in Nicaragua and there's, you know, organized crime in El Salvador. There's a lot of poverty and violence against girls in Guatemala. And, and you know, I think what I really cherish about this work and what I'm excited about is our ability to innovate so quickly as an organization because we're not a big bureaucratic nonprofit. We really operate on a community level where we have points of contacts in all communities. And we're able to organize and respond so quickly to any challenge that comes up. And like I said, our question is always, okay, what do we need to do this year, this month to help fill that educational gap so we can respond quickly? And I'm, I'm always excited knowing that when a group of passionate people come together, that we can do amazing things, even, even in the face of hardship like we are, we're all in right now. So knowing that we have a team that really cares about like I said, digging our heels into these difficult problems. I'm just excited that I get a I get to work with people like that who care and that respond and that continue to make steps to creating a more just world. So that's yeah. that is what excites me. That's why I care about this work. And same with my public speaking work I do. I love giving a platform to people who have unique perspectives and that need their voices heard. So um, that just excites me to be part of the solution. Yeah, absolutely. Louisa and I are both in our second year and we will graduate. Thank you. We will graduate in May. And honestly, it's been um, quite a year uh, um, for us to be able to be for us to be doing this degree. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give current students from Wagner who are you know going to graduate in a few months might want to start their own projects might be entering a diminished job market because it's post covid so what advice would you give us i don't know maybe uh, so that we feel a little more hopeful than we are feeling right now <laughs> oh so sorry to hear that um, <laughs> i think that you know that's that's a that's tough and i think i think there's a couple things that I are important. Um, like I said, when we talk about networking, think of it more as community building. And I, one thing I, I've been sort of preaching on a lot, and I've, I've gotten some pushback on the my use of the word authentic, because some younger people than me tell me, Kristen, that word's so outdated. And I think, but there's something to that word, and I can't find something that more accurately describes it. I think being honest about your struggles, where you're at, and having the courage to build meaningful connections with people. And I say that because that's always what's worked for me. It's never been the, you know, the grade I got or the skill I brought to the table. That's important to have, obviously. Like you, you are all, you're both very capable women. You're at Wagner, you're, you're going to do great things in the world. Um, but it's really about building these trusted relationships in community 
And that's what's going to matter um, in the long run. So when I finished at Wagner, I made sure that I joined book clubs and I stayed engaged and constantly building community with people around me. Um, so having the courage to be honest about where you're at, to step up and be an ally for other people, to have meaningful conversations. And that's what builds trust in relationships. If you, if you never go beyond that small talk, it's just going to stay surface level. And, and if you can get a little bit deeper with people and, and show yourself and let them be shown, those relationships will take you somewhere. Um, so I do think that that community is really important right now. And, um, and, and if you aren't getting your dream job right away, well, first of all, you don't want your dream job right after grad school. That's just not how it should be. You want to, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of us want that immediate gratification and that's just usually not how it works. I think you need to give yourself time to morph into, um, the career person that you want to become. Um, so be patient with yourself as well. I certainly didn't get my dream job and, you know, I always am seeing how I'm evolving in my career too. So being open to that evolution, um, and make sure you're always learning, always learn, always surround yourself with people that are teaching you something new. Take the time to learn something new. If you're not, you know, in that dream job straight away. To close this, this interview, I guess, if you feel comfortable sharing with us, we would love to learn what your biggest regret is at Wagner and what did you learn from it? Or maybe what's the best decision that you made at Wagner if you prefer to keep it positive? Uh, I don't know if I have any huge regrets. That's so interesting. That's a great question. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I have no shame in answering that whatsoever. I wouldn't say this was a regret, but I think... You know, I took a lot of quantitative courses and I was definitely and I've always been somebody who was so focused on the grade. And unless you're, you know, continuing on to your PhD, which, you know, you know, maybe I'll do that someday. My mom went back for her doctorate when she was 50. (laughs) I don't doubt that I also would do something like that. But I, you know, I think that I and I see the gender difference here as well. Like I was so always heads down, like I want to be the perfect student. I And, and, you know, I think um, I should have spent about half of my time on my studies and the other half building stronger communities and networks, if you will. So I think that I I would have been a little less studious. I'm not sure if that's great (laughs) for everybody, but I think I put way too much emphasis on being this perfect student. And even in the real world, being that perfect employee is if you're executing all of your work, but not building that community and building relationships, then it doesn't really pay off in the way that we'd want it to. And I, again, like I said, I've noticed a big gender difference that women do a lot more heads down. I want to see more women emerge and rise as leaders and say, okay, men are doing things when they're 60% confident. I want women to do things when they're 60% confident. And I think for a lot of my life, I was like, I have to be hundred percent confident before I do anything. And looking back, I was like, man, I, I think I would have you know, achieved even more if I would have taken more time to go out instead of just have my head down and doing the perfect work. So you know, that's such a good point. Yeah. (laughs) I think perfect. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I don't know. I think I asked you for some, uh, I don't know, ray of sunshine kind of hope for when we graduate. And I think one of those things is that we do have this amazing group of alumni that we can look at and say there are so many successful people who graduated from Wagner and they're doing the kind of things that we want to be doing Mm -hmm. and I think that's enough of hope for us for now 
Aww. Well, I love that. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, Wagner attracts, I think, a certain kind of person. And that's what attracted me there. Because I was like, oh, I want to be more like these people. You know, I wasn't quite there when I started. And I was like, I want to become that. I want to learn to see the world the way they do and interact with the world that they do. And, you know, there's power in that community. There's a lot yeah. of power in it. And, you know, the good thing is we're always tied for life. Yes. <laughs> That's so great to hear. Thank you so much for this interview, Kristen. It's been so great talking to you. Oh, it's so great talking to you, too. And I hope you enjoy the uh, unusually warm weather today. <laughs>